And then uh, I know this would usually help, kind of like rub off the, the nerves and everything by saying this shit extremely, like makes me extremely nervous, you know, speaking in front of a group. But figure, you know, it's not what my head tells me. It's just do what is suggested. Contrary action. Those are things that I learned from those that in the rooms before me. And um, I thank you guys for that. Um, let me just start by saying I'm extremely grateful to be here today. Um, in so many instances back in my previous, and I like to say my previous life because we're blessed, you know, um, those that come to the rooms and and work the program, we, we, we're, we live two lives in one, you know, and, and that's, that, that's the beautiful thing, you know, the, um, let me start, also start by saying, um, those that took chips today, congratulations, um, the birthday, Ryan, congratulations, man, 10 years, um, and even those that, first 29 days, those three months, those are things that you guys should be extremely proud of because I know for me, when I first came to these rooms, um, that was unfathomable to me. I could not stay sober a week, days, you know, let alone a month. Um, and when I first came to the rooms, it, I'm not saying that those old timers or those have the long term sobriety, what didn't, you know, I couldn't, but I related more and I, I, I gravitated to those that, you know, that, that were getting, you know, one month, two months and just seeing what it is that, that they did to get there. Um, because obviously what I was doing wasn't working. Um, I, like a lot of us, you know, when we first start drinking, um, I know for me it wasn't all, all too bad. And when it did get bad and I'd have those, excuse my language for saying this, but those shit shows, um, it was... Um, I, I always thought it's because, you know, you, you're new at this, you know, the, the, you're, you're going to get up to speed with it and you're going to, you know, I guess like graduate to the next levels. And there's like this way of learning how to drink. And because I always hung out with my brother who was a year older and his friends who were obviously older than me, it was always trying to fit in. And when I was young, I never felt a part of, you know, any group, really. Um, I... I had, you know, good classes, honor classes, things like that, but I didn't apply myself. So I, I didn't feel like I was, I guess, quote unquote, one of those nerds, you know, but then even, you know, my, my brothers and his friends and what they did, you know, I, I didn't feel part of, so I, the, the drink is what helped me feel welcomed and, and accepted amongst, you know, the masses. Um, because in that, that, that's that liquid courage. I, I can be whoever you like me to be, you know, I can be the fun-loving, happy-go-lucky guy, and or I can be the hard ass that you need when, when we need to fight some people and cause some havoc, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's usually what, that's typically what happened during my drinking career, you know? There was obviously, you know, enjoyable moments, or in my eyes, I thought there was always those shit shows, you know? And it was periodically. And for me, it got progressively worse. It got less of a good time and more of those, you know pitiful incomprehensible demoralization moments where you wake up and you know you you wonder how did you get here again when when 
you, all you wanted to do was just have one or two. And that's at the point that I got to, to where um, one was too many and 20 wasn't enough. You know, um, to where it became something not that I wanted to do, but something that I needed in my life. Um, and it, it, it encompassed my whole life. I, I chose that over relationships. I chose that over um, work. I chose that over damn near everything, you know, and getting one DUI wasn't enough for me. Um, if anything, I was more mad at the fact that I should have turned left into, instead of right, you know, and th that's how I looked at it, you know, it was like I, all, I, all it was that it wasn't the drinking problem that I had that I, I was 12 beers in and don't even remember shit and how I just remember waking up in the drunk tank, but that wasn't the issue, you know? Um, so I did what I had to do with the courts and all of that. And, and I, I went to those court appointed classes and if anything, they, they, they didn't push the whole alcoholism and you might have a problem to you. It, it was more of just, this might be a problem. These are the consequences of doing it. And how I interpreted it was, we're going to show you a better ways to manage your drinking. So that way you don't come back here. You know? So, so obviously once I got that taken care of right back out to it and, Rather than talk some more so about the shit shows, I'm just gonna fast forward to when I walked myself or drove myself right into a second DUI and um, crashed the car. And this was 10 years from my first one. So imagine how I felt like back to square one and I mean, completely demoralized. And, um, but it was the experience I needed, you know? Um, even after that, came to, uh, I was introduced to these meetings by my, uh, my uncle. And um, he, he conned me into it because he told me you could get these court card signatures and might keep the judge off your back. And little did I know what I was in for, you know. Um, you guys told me to keep coming back, you know. Easy does it, don't worry, like, you know. And for me, the love and affection that I got here, I never felt anywhere else, and that's what I gravitated to. That and also the similarities I, I would hear in people's shares. Um, I knew that at that point that I wasn't the only one. And that took my whole life. I always felt like it's only, you know, me for me, you know, boohoo me. Um, I'm different. I'm unique. No, when you hear other people and it's a fucking eye opener, excuse my language. When you hear someone tell your story, you know, for the first time. Um, and that's when I, I, I knew that, you know, I was home. Um, and I thank you guys for that. Um, of course, me, I'm resistant to everything and I want to do it my way. So I go, I go to meetings, I don't get a sponsor and, you know, and then I question why there's sometimes where I'm still, you know, on self-will, why I'm irritable, discontent. And, um, you know, I relapsed after getting three months and that helped me show, like see the power of the disease that even stone cold sober, we could trick our mind into thinking that obsession that, you know, maybe I can do this again, I, you know, and I'm glad that it was a complete, like I say, a shit show. And that's what usually I would have towards the end of my drinking career was a lot of shit shows. Um, so after that, I realized what I was missing was the spiritual aspect, the actually the work um, I was making meetings and those are all good. But meetings for me and I'm, I'm only speaking for myself aren't sufficient enough to maintain sobriety and that. Um, spiritual experience that, that, that we all need. Um, so 
I begrudgingly was invited to a retreat. And that's when the gentleman explained to me that going to one of those retreats is when he found his first sponsor. So we're driving up there. And if that's not a God shot telling me, Gavron, I put this guy in the car with you. If you can't muster up the damn courage to ask him, then obviously you don't want it. So obviously, you know, me going to plan, I'm how I want to do it is I'm going to wait till the end of the weekend and then I'll ask him. God has other plans for us. <laughs> One of the gentlemen there that I just met and I, you know, bothered to ask me, you know, do you have a sponsor? No. Are you thinking of getting one? Yeah. Whom are you thinking about asking? Uh, you know, excuse me if I'm name dropping over here, but just Paul over there. And he asked, well, well what, the, what the hell are you waiting for, man? You know? And I'm like, you know, I want to really get to know him a little bit more. He's all like, just do it. He's like, hey, Paul, this guy has something to ask you. <laughs> and I, I, like I said, the experience that I needed. And I'm glad it happened the way it happened. And because rather than waiting to come back down the hill from Bishop and get to work, I'm thinking, all right, we're not, he's not going to put me to work now. I didn't bring a big book. Oh, don't worry. He had one and an extra one. So getting to work that weekend you know and that was the vital experience that i needed you know because knowing there at that moment that there's the work that we have to put in in order to maintain that sobriety you know and it's not always going to be smooth sailing guys you know because we have to fill what we feel without that that buffer anymore you know whether that it was the, the drug or the drink um the pills whatever it was you know we don't have that buffer and but it's it's a beauty to fill what we feel and you know and have those people in our lives to help us see our character defects. Because I know for myself, even without the drink, when Nick wants to run the show, I, I'll, I'll ruin shit. You know, I don't have to be drinking to make a mess of things. Relationships, um, situations. Um, but I don't have to live like that today anymore. You know, I, I have a sponsor who I can, I can call. I have... A close-knit uh, group of fellows, uh, men and women, that you know we we trudge the road together, and I'm glad that they they dragged me along for the ride, even though uh, plenty of times I was very unwilling, you know. Um, and that's what I'm very appreciative to all of you guys today. Um, and where I, you know, I'm only saying this because don't be alarmed if you're, you know three months sober, six months sober, and, and you're lagging on the work. Because like I said, you know, I didn't get to step work until about a year into my sobriety. I wouldn't suggest that to anyone. But, um, you know, as my sponsor tell me, God's put you where you're at, where, where he wants you at that moment, you know. And when we kind of combat that is when we start to get irritable, disconnect. I just have to let go and let God. And that's what, uh, you know, you guys have taught me. Um, and I thank every single one of you here today for that. Um, I love this meeting. I, I love all of you guys, everyone here, those that I do know and those that, you know, I'm hoping I can get to know a little bit more. Um, I think less, you know, we were we, we do come in today and I'm just thinking I can bring the pizzas and I can just sit down and, you know, conversate and that's it. But God has other plans, like I say, and he gives me this opportunity to share. I'm um, hoping my, you know, my experience, strength and hope and just know that, you know, Everything's going to be okay, guys. You know, the, I, I've heard this before. You know, you're either barely going to be going into the thick of the storm, you're going through it, or you're just getting out of it. But nothing, and what, what I got out of that is nothing is 
um, permanent. The good feelings that are ever, and even those times when we're down in the dumps, you know, nothing lasts forever. So we just have to walk through it. And if it's difficult, um, get some numbers, call someone. If you have a sponsor, call, call your sponsor, work with them, make meeting, anything to get out of self, because that's what's helped me stay sober. And it's not sober for another week. It's sober one day at a time. And in some instances, it's one, one moment at a time. Um, so I know I can drag things on forever, but um, thank you guys for letting me share. And like I said, I love every single one of you. And uh, it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you your speaker for the evening, Joe. It was great. Let's give him another hand. All right, I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, you were talking about incomprehensible demoralization, and that's how I got here tonight. You know, I just, uh, Les called me up for Thanksgiving and says, come on up and speak. I said, I can't, man. I got, my father-in-law is here. I got people, I got things to do. We got, we got parties we're throwing. I can't make it, man. Call me after the first of the year, Les. Les calls me after the first of the year, and uh, I got myself embroiled in some other um, outside issue. I call it an outside issue, and uh, I told him, I said, I can't do it right now, man. I says, till after the election, you know, March 5th and whatnot, and, and, and shit, and, and it, you know, and, and, uh, so, and I, I'm actually doing this, right? And all of a sudden, I'm in bed, and I'm going, I can't sleep. Damn it, I can't sleep. You stupid son of a bitch. You did it again. You're almost 40 years sober, and you're still saying no. You're still controlling the situation. Les, I called you up the next day. He says, Les, pick a day. Just pick a day. I want to sleep again. Please pick a day. He says, can you make <laughs> February night? I'll be there, man. I'll be there. Thank you. And I've been, I've been able to sleep over here. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Oh, is this being recorded? It is. All right, thanks. So, <laughs> so anyways, so, uh, and I, so I finally, and I finally was, I'm able to sleep again. Thank God. Thank you for asking, please. Oh, my Lord. It's like, what is it about us? What does it take? You know, one minute, we're, um, and I was fine. Before the phone call, I was doing just fine. You know, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you know, how bad was it to get me here? Um, we're talking about the having two lives. The other guy, the other guy, Joe, and um, the guy who came up and he had a black velvet um, Gucci sport coat on, you know, and uh, Edwardian collar and bell-bottom pants and. And I was in the recording industry, and I had a lot of gold records and number one hit records and whatnot. And uh, and I thought that that made me, you know. And um, there's a there's a there's a saying, there's a, a statement that we alcoholics we um, we will achieve and transcend any of our failures or our crises and that um, actually problems were our stimulant, right? And uh, so 
that's how we are. And, and so when I was in the entertainment industry, the next statement after that, according to Bill, was how do we handle success, the problems that come with success? And that's where I was. And so I had a right. You couldn't tell me not to drink. I had guys from AA Chandler Lodge were coming down to the recording studio and telling me, Joe, you really need to come to a meeting, you know? I go, I had a potty mouth, disrespectful, you know? And uh, I was telling the guys, you guys are coming down here trying to, I'm working, what are you guys doing? You know, I'm working over here, man. You know, I was drinking in front of them, you know, and still working and having success and everything. And I was arrogant, disrespectful, and uh, my morals were at an all-time low. Uh, I'll tell you how bad it got. I, 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 um, I went home one day, and my wife is sitting on the sofa, and she's got this look on her face, and I go, what's wrong, bro? And she goes, I got a venereal disease. And I said, Jesus, where'd you get that? And, and from you. I says, you mean I got it too? And she says, don't scream at me. I've got it too. So, you know, and I wanted that to make me, you know, be all right. And, and I didn't realize. Crazy. Absolutely insane. You know. It finally took her. Finally took her realizing. You know, it finally took her realizing that there was very little conscience on my part at all. And she says... You need to leave. You need to leave. You know, she says, I can take, I can take all of the drinking. I can take you cheating with other women. She says, I put that on me, she said. She says, but what I can't is stand is the fact that you love alcohol more than you love these children. Get out. Wow. And so I went, and uh, I went, and uh, my brother was living at a place. His wife had kicked him out for drinking, and <laughs> and uh, so we were camping out at his buddy's house, and uh, his buddy was having a birthday party for his father out in Palm Springs. And it was first thing in the morning, open bar. So my brother and I drive out there, right? I knocked out about a fifth of, I don't know what, mezcal. I just, I don't, I ate the worm, you know, I was nuts, nuts, drunk. And it was by 12 o'clock, we were toast. We got back in the truck and we left the party and uh, we're on the freeway coming back home. And uh, I saw CHP, and I, I looked at my brother. I says, I wonder if he wants a race. Yeah. I, I mean, no respect for the police officer, you know. And, uh, and I did that, you know, and I tried to race him. And he, whoo, he pulled me over and comes over, and he wants to talk with me. 
And he didn't give me a field sobriety test. Now, if you've got a 502, don't take this out on me, okay? This is, my God is in action. He knows what's required to get Joey sober. And uh, so the cop comes over, he goes, listen, you just need to take it easy today. There's a lot of us out, out there. It was May 5th. It was Cinco de Mayo. And, uh, and he leaves. He goes back to his car. And my brother goes, couldn't he smell your breath? I, I don't know, you know. I, I says, he said, what are we going to do? I says, let's go to the El Torito and celebrate not getting a 502. <laughs> and we did, and we did. And that was, that was the last day I drank. That was the last day I drank. I came to a couple days later. Um, and I went to the house and I talked to my wife at the time. I says, look, if I can get sober... Can I move back in? Because I missed the hell out of not seeing my children. And she says, yeah, two weeks. And that's what it took. And so uh, I went, I, I told her, I says, do me a favor. Make an appointment for me over at AA. Do you know? I mean, if I got to go see a doctor, I make an appointment, you know. And uh, so she calls, and she gets some guy, Olio. You know Olio? From Pomona Triangle Group. And uh, and he's talking to her, and, and he goes, is your husband there right now? And she goes, yeah. And he says, put him on. So I get on the phone, he goes, Hey, pal. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you have clothes on? I said, what are you, a fucking pervert? You know what? Yeah, I got clothes on. He says, do you have a watch? I says, yeah. You still have a car? I says, yeah. He says, I don't think you're ready. <laughs> I was going, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him. You know, you didn't realize what I was going through. I hear, I'm trying to get back with my children here, you know, and he just did not understand me. So he says, if you want to get sober, he says, go to the meeting tomorrow morning over at the 502 Club, and he gave me the address and everything, and I went. I went. And um, I, walked in, I walked in that door, and I got a miracle. Now, the person that you're listening to speak now you're not listening to Joey Gallo. You're listening to guys guys like Ron E, Don Babb, Ray Goodman, Harvey Angers, Waterfront Mac, Big Book Mac. These are the people that you're listening to right now. Do you understand this? These people live inside of me. They're all passed on but they're living inside of me. And their lives are being extended by what I give away to other guys that are just coming in new. I revere these men. One of these guys, his name is Ron, come over and goes, hey, my name's Ron, what's yours? I said, Joe, he says, ah, what do I want you to do? He said, I want you to walk around this room over there, I want you to stick your hand out and tell every one of those guys, hi, 
my name is Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Go ahead and get their names. And I'm, I'm walking around the room, the whole room. The whole room. And I'm talking, all these guys first thing. I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic. I'm like, what the hell is this, you know? And I go and I, and, he's, and I sit down after and I listen to the meeting, you know. After the meeting, Ron says, come on with me. He puts me in his truck. He's got a big book. And he drives over to his job site. He makes sure that the workers are working. And he takes me aside and he goes, come on. Let's start working the steps. He started working the steps right then and there. Do you understand what I'm talking about? This is Barefoot AA. This is how they run it at the 502 Club. So we get through. I'm doing my writing. I'm doing the reading and everything else. And then lunchtime... He goes back, make sure his guys are going to lunch. We went to the noon meeting over at the 502 Club, caught another meeting. We go back to the, the job, make sure that the guys are working again. He takes me over and again, and we start reading the book, and we're doing more steps. And he goes, all right, now, he says, I want you to know this. We went to an evening meeting over at the club. And he told me after the meeting, he says, Joe, if you don't drink between now and tomorrow morning and you go to a meeting, you're going to have one day of sobriety. You think you'll make it? He says, yeah. He says, okay, I'll see you tomorrow morning. And that was my first day of sobriety. That was May 8th, 1984. It's the last time I took a sip of alcohol. I haven't had a sip in 40 years. It's a long time in between beers, you know? But the love that man gave me, the love that man gave me, I was able to give one of my family members. Because remember, I went to live with my brother. He had had a drinking problem. And the book says, do not preach to him. Let him go. Let somebody else do it. You know, be an example. Well, about a year later, now I get my year of sobriety, and a week later, I get a phone call from the Norwalk Police Department, and it's, we have your, your uh, brother Sam in jail, <laughs> and I told the cop, I says, this is his only dime, isn't it? He, he goes, yeah. I says, what time is he going to get out in the morning? About five? He goes, yeah. He says, that's fine. I says, I'll come up, pick him up at five, but I want you to just hang up the phone right now on him. And make like nothing happened. Don't tell him nothing. <laughs> and, and he hung up the phone like this. And, and my, I'm sure my brother was asking, what, 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 that's my only dime. He goes, that's your only dime. Yeah, he says, your brother hung up. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> so anyways, I went, there the next, I went there the next morning. I picked my brother up. Couldn't remember where he, he had left his car. The, the cops didn't tow the car. And uh, I brought him to the 502 Club. And I told him, I said, Sam, just start shaking everybody's hand over there. Tell them, say, I'm, I'm Sam, I'm an alcoholic. You get their names over there and get some numbers for you, all right? And before the end of that meeting, the guys had swooped on him, all the same crew, man, same crew, you know, they jumped <laughs> on him. And that was the last I preached to my brother. I says, you're on your own. You know exactly what you got to do now. You understand you're on your own 
working working this with a family member was extremely difficult, you know. But um, I got to report to you, my brother's coming up on thirty nine years now. All right, yeah. He's well. He's he's a year and a week behind me, so he's a newcomer, and I give him the business about. <laughs> and, uh, but it's that kind of it's that kind of a thing, you know. We're a family, you know. Every time I drive into Covina, I drove into Glendora over here, and I was I was, I was telling Mike, I says I call my buddy Jim, uh, uh, P, uh, who used to live here in Glendora. And uh, he was living in West Covina for a long time. And uh, I gave him a call. I said, where are you? He says, I'm in Cincinnati now. I says, oh, no, man, because I was in Glendora. And every time I come up to Glendora, I, I think about my buddy Jim, you know. And he's still sober. Thank God, man. He and Kathleen are doing phenomenal. But it, we're a family. You understand? I see Marcos. I see Mike. I come up here. And this is like Les calls me every year. Come on up. Speak. No, I can't make it. <laughs> I just, I need more incomprehensible demoralization and stuff. I got to tell you, the uh, the roughest period I had was about eighteen months. That was the roughest period, and I really had to go back and redo all of my um, inventory. And uh, I really struggled with that. Letting go and letting God, letting God have control. Have you done your third step yet? Have you really done your third step? You know, because I had a crazy sponsor. Ron had moved, so I got Harvey. And Harvey, hey, I worship the ground that guy walked on. He... (laughs) I was talking to him. We were on my front lawn. I'll never forget it. And I told Harv, I says, Jesus, Harv, you know, I don't get it. I got a beautiful wife, two beautiful, healthy children, brand new cars, brand new recording studio, 16 gold and platinum albums hanging on the wall. I got everything a guy could want out of life, and I'm freaking miserable. He goes, yep. (laughs) <laughs> you know, as Ray Goodman would have said, fantastic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm looking like, these guys, are you sure they're not doing loots or something? They're nuts, man. <laughs> you know, and uh, so Harvey says, Joe, it's because you're doing what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do. I said, what do I do, Harvey? He says, have a yes day. So what's a yes day? He says, that's a day that no matter what you're asked, you do it. You just say yes to it. You believe that God, God the higher power, is using people, the lower power, to help put you back on the spiritual path that you're supposed to be on. I says, that's plenty screwed. <laughs> I says, I, I, you know, I mean, uh, suppose God wants me to give away my house. He says, you give it away. And he was serious, dead serious. <laughs> Suppose somebody wants to do my wife. He says, he says, you let him do her. He says, that'd be her lucky day. <laughs> and I, he says, let, let me ask you a question. He says, he says, do you really believe God wants you to give away your house or have somebody do your wife? I says, no. He says, 
then you won't be asked that question. Oh, I see how sober logic works now. I, you know, he says, I got to go. And he, I, I think he was pretty much done with me, you know, and he left. And so it took about two months, prayer, meditation. I'm talking about solid prayer. I'm talking about hours of prayer to be able to get the courage to do this thing. And on the day I did, one of the guys that had built my recording studio asked me, he says, can I get, Joe, he says, could, could you get a guy, he says, could you let my father come down and take a look at the, the recording studio? And I says, yeah. He, I says, he probably just wants to see what it's about. I said, I'll be there at nine o'clock in the hearing. In comes the guy and he's looking at the studio and he asks a question. Are you ready? More incomprehensible demoralization less. He asked me, he says, he says, hey, he's looking around, he goes, Jesus, pretty accomplished. He says, let me ask you a question. Why don't you teach? I says, what, privately? It doesn't pay. That's one. He says, no, no. He says, you know, teach, college and stuff. I says, oh, well, I says, I make more money than any college professor I know. Well, that's great, he said, but you could always make $40,000 a year more teaching part-time and still doing what you're doing. I says, well, I don't have a degree. Well, he says, we'll get you one. I says, in case you haven't noticed, I got a wife, two kids in my business. I can't afford to go to school. And he says, the way I see it, you can't afford not to. And he left. <laughs> this is my yes day, Les. That's my yes day. Jeez. And I mean, I can feel like this in the back of my head. This is your yes day? You know. My favorite prayer today is, Father, bless my ears so I may listen when you speak to me. Bless my heart with patience so that I may wait on you. It's my favorite prayer today. I have to pray that a lot. I need to pray. Just let me hear you. Let me hear you. you know. But he comes through you. He comes through you. He comes through that old man that was coming in the garage, you know, the studio, and asking me, saying, why, uh, why don't you teach? The very next day, I come home and, and Rose, my wife, says, Joe, some guy left a package for you. It was an application for Cal State University, Los Angeles. And I knew. I knew. So I call Harvey up. He says, Harvey, some guy wants me to become a college professor. And he goes, are you having your yes day? He yeah. says, yes, I am, Harvey. He says, I suggest you do everything exactly as you've been asked. I says, you know, Harv, I'm thinking about getting another sponsor. <laughs> and, and Harvey says, Joey, you can run from me, but you can't run from God. And he hung up the phone. He hung up the phone. Just like that, man. Hung up the phone. He wasn't going to fight with me. And I'm left at the kitchen table with one question. Do you believe in God? No, no, no. Everybody's not hearing. No. Do you believe in God? Uh, no. Do you believe in God enough to do 
what somebody else is telling you to do. Believe that it comes from God, that he wants the best for you. Do you believe in God? Are you willing to give yourself over completely to God? The third step is what we're talking about. Isn't that where we started? <laughs> we're on the third step. We're giving ourselves completely to God. Just let go. And I sat there and I said, I believe in God. For me, God is. And because God is, he wants the best for me. And I grabbed the papers and I started filling them out. I said, honey, I says, I'm going to go to college. And my wife goes, oh, okay. That was Rosie. That was Rosie. That was my wife. The best, the best human being, the best person I've ever had in my life as a partner, right? And stuff. And I still love her very much. We're still very close friends. So, and uh, I can't do enough to make amends to her, even Years, 20 years, 30 years, even after she left me for another guy. I love her husband now, too. I don't care. I, I just, I'll do anything to make it up to her. I really blew it. You know, it finally, it finally dawned. It finally, finally dawned. You know, man, what you had, you dumb idiot. You know, and it knocked me down a few rungs. It knocks you down a few rungs. Well... I went to school. I learned that that guy that asked me that, he was the head of the choral department for the university. He was a 28-year emeritus professor of music. He's the number one world authority on Gregorian chant. He used to go to the Abbey of Salem in France and teach the monks how to sing Gregorian chant properly. And this guy's asking me to go to school. <laughs> Never knew. Who knew? And he became, affectionately, I called him Pops. And we, we had built up a phenomenal relationship uh, with that. Well, that school education, well, well I, got my, I got my licks. I took my licks. I didn't start right at the top. I started out at Fremont Middle School in South Pomona. I did six years of middle school over there while I was doing two, two nights a week over at Pasadena City College and two nights a week over at Cal State University Pomona so that I can get my bilingual teaching credential. Did that for five years, finished it, and became, was asked to go teach over at Cypress College. I was department chair over there and finished. So I wound up having my heart attack. What an exciting life. What an exciting life. Every day when I was teaching over at Fremont Middle School, I was taking my God with me. I would not leave the house without praying up for those children and what I was going to take to those kids. I asked God to bless my mind, my lips, my tongue, my ears, just bless me, Father. Let me carry your message, not my message, your message to those children. And I looked and I said, it's the best experience I've ever had in my life. I got high off of watching the children that had been taught succeed. I was, I was getting off on their success. And then I was asked to teach over at the college. 
the college says, we need to build, in, build up our enrollment by 5%. I says, okay, no problem, I'll do it. And I went out and I started making phone calls and doing the machine thing. I'm going to work for God. That's it. He's my employer. And that's what the book says. He's my employer. So I went out. I visited 16 different high schools. I went to the choral directors as well as the band directors. The next semester, I built up the enrollment by 60%. I had to hire four adjunct teachers at the college just to handle the extra load and the extra classes that we had to add on. God blessed me. God's been blessing me ever since. How does he bless me? He blesses me by having friends like Mike Marcos. Les, call me up. Don't stop calling me. Don't you dare stop calling me, man. You understand? My Diane is in seventh heaven tonight. You know, I know she's working, but um, and she wanted to come. She really wanted to come. She was here the last time I spoke. And um, she loves this group. She loves this town. And uh, I got to tell you, Mike said it. He says, you've got a lot of the 502 club in you. You really do. You folks, uh, you can tell the love you have for each other, the giving that you have, the fun, the fellowship that you have. This is what sobriety is all about, man. If you don't have this over here, you know, you're not going to stay sober. This is what's going to keep you sober. So, anyways, listen. I want to thank each and every one of you for letting me come out here tonight and speak to you. I didn't have any idea of what I was going to say when I got up on this stage tonight. I didn't. I didn't. I just asked God. I says, guide my, my lips, my tongue, my ears. Bless my ears so I can hear you speaking through me. What do you want me to say? You know. He says he loves you very much. And he says, and you could never fail him. You could never fail him. What a beautiful thought. We, if you're anything like me, I walk through his garden on a daily basis and I mess it up. And he still doesn't, doesn't care. He just, he still loves me enough to say, it's okay, Joey. It's okay. You know. Have another shot at it. And I know he's going to pick me. I know he'll pick me soon. I can't wait. How does this program work? Well, Bill talked about the war, soldiers going through the war. And they didn't have any problem getting through the war. And uh, we go through wars on a daily basis here. We lose our loved ones. You know, you lose a brother, you lose a sister. I lost my sister this past year, you know, my sister Joanne, and uh, she had a massive coronary. She also had quintuple bypass the year before I had mine. And she was only a year older than me. She never saw 74. And uh, so my brother and I, we went, we went back to Rochester and we buried my sister. And I'm looking at my brother, and my brother's looking at me. I says, "Why don't we just give her 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 daughters the house, her her uh, grand, you know, daughter and granddaughters the house? You know, what are we gonna do back in Rochester, New York? <laughs> we don't go back there all the time." So we decided to do that. 
You know, we can do that kind of stuff today. It's not about the greed any longer. It's just about helping others one day at a time. He said, shut up, Joey, and I'm going to do that right now. Thank you for letting me share. I'm less alcoholic. Let's give Joey and Nick a hand for a great meeting. We, we could do this deal. Wind, snow, rain, we just show up when we're shot up. <laughs> so, I'm your grapevine rep. Two years for 54 bucks. One year for 28.97. Meeting in a print. Stick it in your car so sometimes, you know, when you're going, getting a little crazy, read one of these. It has everything in it. Got the 12 steps and traditions. It, t it talks about uh, this one here is being most thankful, you know. You could, you could give one of these to someone that's uh, locked down, drop it off at a doctor's office. Like Joey said, listen to what he says. Hey, drop this off over here. Give this to that guy. <laughs> you know, yep. you never know. You know, that's the whole thing. That that's one thing I I I, I call it the great exchange. You know, I, I get up in the morning, exchange my will for his, and say, reporting for duty. Where are we going? And that's what it's all about. You know, and we could do this. I can't do this without all you. We need a lot of help cleaning up afterwards. Help help Fernando. Uh, let's give Fernando and and. Uh, Frank a hand for and everybody else that is, participates in this meeting. Look, if if you if you want to get involved, uh, see Fernando after the meeting, or talk to Greg. He has a blackboard. Tell him what you're bringing so we, we know what's going on. You know we need uh, we need uh, if you want to get active in this meeting, we got a lot of jobs here. You know so and we need a lot of help, and that's how we put this meeting on. Happy birthday, Brian. Happy birthday. Yeah, that's a big deal. And all you newcomers, uh, how many people out there, raise your hand, don't have a sponsor? There's one, two, come on. How many people out here are willing to be a sponsor? Okay, there's a lot of hands, so there's no reason for anybody not to have a sponsor. Right? We'll talk afterwards. Anyway, uh, what we do is we read these, and, and then I, I'll give this away to somebody, and then uh, you read it and bring it back. I haven't gotten any lately back, so where are they? So I'm going to ask you next week, where, where is, where's, the, where's the books? Come on. We need some help here. All right, Tina, come on up here. Tina. And uh, we've got the raffle going to go on now. So anyway, who who's grateful and thankful wants to come up and get this? Come on. Somebody wants this. Somebody needs it. Come on. All right. There we go. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So grateful I came tonight. Thank you. Love you too.